everybody. This is Rowan, Two Sisters, part of Preggers Can Be Choosers, and this is our Afterbirth Fourth and More Support Group, so Fourth and More Trimester Support Group. And today we're going to talk about. Well, I guess I should back up. No, no, you're in suspense about the topic. I get that. Okay, we're going to talk about what was the most most constructive or helpful thing that happened when you were struggling with postpartum anxiety or depression or in your postpartum period, maybe you didn't have those things, but what was a critical thing that happened that was either a turning point or you really remember or something of that nature. So that's what we're gonna look at and talk about today. And our afterbirth group is an offshoot of Preggers Can Be Choosers, which is a midwifery and full spectrum reproductive services uh, business here in Houston, Texas. I'm the uh, midwife and chief uh, services director or um, deliverer, I guess. And along with my sister, Dr. Blythe, two sisters, who's our mental health director. And we also have Mary and Shana. Mary is our massage therapist and student midwife. And Shana is our admin assistant and helps us get things done. So that's the crew here at Preggers Can Be Choosers. And today we have Tiffany and Caitlin. Caitlin had to excuse herself because she just had a poop incident where she picked up her son and got poop all over her thigh or something. So maybe we'll hear more about that in a minute. And then uh, Tiff or Blythe, Dr. Blythe, do you want to introduce yourselves and tell us what's going on? I'll go. The big announcement over here is I uh, took off for a couple months. I used to attend this regularly with Rowan or we would alternate depending on what was happening on in our lives. But I disappeared for probably like three months. Rowan told me like you cannot attend anymore um, because every minute counts because I was studying for a test and I passed the fucking test. So yeah, fourth time's a charm, seven years of like off and on studying, finally got it done. It doesn't matter how you get it done. I just got it done. So I achieved, unlocked, whatever you want to call it, um, the impossible. So um, that's my big announcement. So I'm back like intermittently. And so today I'm back because I have a moment. Guess who's back? Back again. Spread the I'm not word. shady though. Tell your friends. All right. Good job, Dr. B. And Tiffany, what you got? Hey, y'all. Um, I am Tiffany, a mom of two girls. Lily is five and just started kindergarten. And Willow is three and a half and watching a movie. So we're all getting adjusted to Lily in school and Willow being at home. And um, we just finished moving over the summer from Texas to Maryland. So we're, we're all, everything's new. We're all in a state of, uh, you know, getting used to uh, the routine here in the Northeast. And now that I'm hearing that Lily's in school, that was pretty strategic then to get moved before she started school or no? Is yes. That how it out? Okay. Yes. Um, also with uh, Barry, my husband Barry is a teacher, so we wanted to make sure that he, you know, we moved during the summer so that he could start the new teaching school year at a new position, uh, which he has and he enjoys very much. Um, he's got better benefits and he doesn't have to work on Saturdays and I now have health insurance which I haven't had in 
many years, probably at least 10 years, um, I had both of the girls on Medicaid. So I did see doctors and, you know, was medically supervised for all of that. But um, once that ran out, it was like just seeing where these hormones fly. So I'm looking forward to uh, seeing a doctor again, um, which is like huge for me. I pretty much was close to tears when I got my insurance card that had my own name on it. Um, it, it was a big deal. That's fabulous. That's fabulous. That's tremendous. And it's real shitty, the shenanigans we have to have to uh, get health insurance, you know? Yeah, it was, um, so the, my kids had health insurance and so did Barry at his last job. And it was like insanely ins expensive to add another adult. So I just didn't have insurance and would go to clinics if I needed to or would just self-prescribe over-the-counter stuff and you know it was fine but there's things that I have questions about that I you know I know I need to go to the doctor and even the other day Willow said to me mommy you need to go to the doctor because I've taken them to so many different doctor appointments and dentists and things like that they've never actually heard me say like oh so and so is going to watch you so mommy can go to the doctor so um, for her to say that was like really a little bit eye-opening for me. And I was glad that I could respond with, yes, I do. And I'm going to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you um, had your midwifery first, did Medicaid pay for those or how did that work? Yeah, it was covered by Medicaid. I could only go, there were only two or three that... Um, birth centers and midwives that were covered under the Medicaid plan in Texas. Mm -hmm. So I still had to travel at least 30 minutes to go see a doctor. And even when I was in labor, I had to travel like having contractions in the car on the way to the birthing center. And, you know, I just kept saying, please don't let me have this baby in the car. Please don't let me have this baby in the car. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it was, several hours until <laughs> until Lily was born. But just the fact that I had to travel so far and, um, you know, it wasn't extremely accommodating as if I had, if I, if I were to have chosen like a hospital birth. So um, it was manageable and uh, we did it, but there were definitely like some loopholes and inconvenience things about, choosing the the birthing process that I, I wanted. Right, right. Under Medicaid. Right. Yeah. And there's only one now in Houston. Really? Yeah. And so I helped somebody deliver from Alvin one day, which for those of you who are not uh, Houstonians or local to South Texas, um, Alvin is about a, at least an hour and some yeah. change away. And also when I used to work at the Bay Area Birth Center, folks who like and Bay Area is not covered. Like I think they had one or two Medicaid patients a month, but um, we had people driving in from Beaumont all the time, so an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Bay Area Birth Center was yeah. where I had um, Lily, yeah. and that was it. Was that, and they had one other office that was like on the other, the north side of Houston, mm -hmm. and 
there was like maybe one other office that was just even further away. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The, um, I was going to say something about Medicaid birth centers. I don't remember. It's gone. But um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, we're not doing a good job. And Blythe and I just, Dr. Blythe and I just got back from that, how to start a birth center workshop. And one of the biggest pieces was about navigating with Medicaid. I mean, come on. It's so, and I just keep saying, I can't believe nobody at the Medicaid office doesn't have a calculator to realize that how much, um, even if your entry point to care when you're pregnant is through a midwife, and which doesn't mean you have to have your baby, you know, like Jenny Joseph says, and we're not trying to convince everybody to have their baby in a bathtub in the living room, but we are, you know, like, let's discern who's risky, who's not, who needs a higher level of care, who wants to have their baby in a hospital, like, that's fine. We're just here to help you have whatever you want. But the midwifery model of care is definitely lower um, cost with high returns. So, okay. And Caitlin, do you want to introduce yourself and what just happened? We're all bummed that we didn't get that on tape when you first announced it. Hi, I'm Caitlin. I have a newly turned five-year-old and a uh, almost two-year-old. And I just went to pick up my two-year-old who is without bottoms because he's potty training and like he's got it down for the most part. Well, I picked him up, I put him on my leg. Well, apparently after I just cleaned up the poop, there was still more poop. So he pooped some more and then I smeared not a little, like a full on poop onto my leg. So poop incidents, part of motherhood. Excellent. That's what I'm at. Sorry, I'm very distracted by the amount of poop that I now had to wash off my jeans. <laughs> Go put jeans in the washing machine and then clean up my child and clean up his potty and like there, it's a lot of poop. It's just, you know, when you get through this phase where you don't have to manage poop and bodily fluids, it's a good day. It is a good day, right? It's a big milestone. I remember with Rose, she's like, can you check my butt? And I was like, she was like four or something. And I was like, or three or something. And I just remember thinking, I'm so glad that we're to the point where I'm checking your butt instead of wiping your butt. You know, like it's a, that's a step. That's a step. Sure, I'll look at your butt. And that looks good, sister. Well, maybe try again, you know, like, anyway. Hope she never hears this. Okay. So, Caitlin, we were thinking we would talk about things that were helpful interventions during postpartum periods. So, because um, the thing I keep hearing is people, one thing that happens is people like get in their, you know, zone or their well or whatever and then don't reach out, don't reach out, and then rebuff people who try and support, right? So, that's one thing. And then um, the next is then how do you intervene anyway? So, um, that's one thing I'm thinking about. And then I wanted to hear from you guys, what was a critical either turning point or a point where um, you saw a light at the end of the tunnel or even just a brief moment of fresh air? You know, Sylvia Plath, the author, she says that in her book, The Bell Jar, that you just, like she felt enclosed in a, a bell jar is like kind of on the top of a cake plate. So for those who don't know, and um, she just felt like the air got stale and stagnant and then she couldn't like fight her way out of that. So, and then somebody would like lift the bell jar for a minute and a fresh breath, a breath of fresh air would come in and then she would, you know, be able to figure out a new path or have a moment. And for her, the bell jar was just chronic depression and she did ultimately commit suicide. But um, how did, what was that breath of fresh air or what was that lifting of the, the bell jar for you guys if, if it ever happened that way? I don't know, maybe it didn't. So that's what I want to talk about today. And of course, anything that's on your mind, poop incident, whatever. 
So honestly and truly, this group was huge in me staying stable. Um, because I was able to look forward to talking to other moms, women in my situation. I was able to occupy my children to attend this, these meetings while still at home. I didn't have to leave or go anywhere. And I was highly encouraged by Rowan, whom I've known for many years to, you know, reach out to, reach out to individual moms. Um, and I've made very good friends with Caitlin and um, with Catherine, Miss Cat, we call her. Um, so just being able to attend these groups live and, you know, listen to the podcasts whenever I could. Um, because I knew that there were moms out there who were struggling with the same things that I was. And I was able to relate to the topics and, you know, just talking about home births or water births or, you know, breastfeeding, all of that stuff that a lot of people in my family think is like weird and crunchy and frou-frou. Like these are like real things that people do. And some of my family just didn't really understand that. Um, and the other piece was throughout talking and getting my feelings out in this group, realizing that my alcohol consumption was part of the problem and that I was covering feelings or hiding feelings and pushing them away with alcohol and getting hung over. And then the next morning I would be pissed off at my kids because I didn't feel good and I didn't want to be around them. So I realized that, Hey, Sometimes when it's shitty, you got to feel the shitty feelings so that you can recognize them and feel them and either change the situation or move on or whatever you have to do. But alcohol did not help me in that situation. And attending and listening to these podcasts and groups helped me realize that. So that was huge. Um, my breath of fresh air was when my midwife, Shannon, um, who was, this was after Skylar was born. I don't even know how it came about anymore, but I remember she came to my house and Skylar was like seven months old. So technically I was not a patient anymore, right? Like I, I was, I wasn't in visits with her because I'd had my baby. I'd done my postpartum visits, et cetera. Some re for some reason, she's at my house. I don't know whether I invited her or whether she was like, hey, I'm gonna come check on you. Like, I know you're going through a lot of shit. Let me come check on you. Because it was like right after my mom had died and everything else. And I think she used that as an in and came and checked on me. And she came in without judgment of what my house looked like or anything else. And she wasn't there to 
I don't know, baby me, I guess. She was there to be like, hey, let's talk about this hard shit that's happening. Like, let's, we're not going to pussyfoot around these really hard topics. And so then with having that trust already built in, I kind of opened up, you know, just the tiniest little crack. And she goes, you need to call Blythe. (laughs) Um, And then she would like check in and made sure that I like at least called and made an appointment and did those things. And um, I don't know that it's always a care provider that's going to do that, but even a friend that's like, hey, like I know like on your Facebook, you're really happy you're having a boy, but I know we've talked about it. You really wanted a girl. How you actually doing? Hey, y'all, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to get right back to it. Getting back to our real talk after birth style. You know, and just like asking that question bluntly because it kind of catches them off guard. And it, that's, it caught me off guard. And then I was like, oh, okay. So like there's that, the, they gave me the next step. Not, oh, you should look, you should look for a therapist. She's like, here's the specific person. You should call this person. If they're not the right fit, like we'll find the right fit, but you have to call this person to start. Um, and that was my breath, my breath of fresh air that started me on what a year and a half. Why does that act somewhat year and a half of starting out once a week and then slowly like tapering off over a year and a half, trying to navigate the shit you know, and it wasn't cheap and it's not cheap. And that's a major factor for so many moms. And I see it all the time. Like I need to get back into therapy and I didn't, um, I don't have the money. I don't have the funds. I don't, you know, um, which sucks. But the other major factor that helped with this was Dr. B does virtual therapy. So I would put my son to bed at 7 PM, walk into my bedroom, close the door and be in therapy which for Houstonians, as we all know, it takes an hour to get anywhere, anywhere. You can live anywhere and you're gonna, it's gonna take you 30 minutes to get the grocery store, hour to get wherever you're trying to go, you know? Um, And I don't think that it would have been an accessible point for me to add that into my day as an additional stop, plus finding childcare, plus finding X, Y, Z to do those things. So then, and now this group too is just like I look forward to it because we aren't just talking about pregnancy and birth we're talking about all of the shit that comes after and it's new challenges every day at every stage all of it is just fucking hard um my hard thing right now is my son is at an age where he's noticing how our friends are different right how they're the same and how they're different and one of those things is he's in a classroom with a lot of diverse children and him having to navigate how to explain differences in skin color and why it doesn't matter and why we don't use those as like major points of how to identify someone trying to navigate all of that with a five-year-old and trying to find the words to explain it to a five-year-old while trying to recognize our white privilege on top of it. 
and it's fucking hard and I don't know how to do it. So anyway, that's where we're at. Always learning and growing. Um, you know, Dr. Black and I grew up in El Paso, so I was late to the party that I couldn't say those three white people, those four Hispanic people, those whatever, like, because I was someplace, I was like, okay, so I was at work. I was like, okay, so those three black kids, those three white kids, those three, you know, like Asian kids or whatever. And then they were looking at me and I was like, oh, okay. I mean, it was like 1992 or something, but still like not okay to group people by color, even though I had been used to that being in El Paso because I was one of four white kids. So it'd be like, or in my high school class. So, okay, you four white kids over here, everybody else over here, you know, like, anyway, I didn't do well with that. So I'm glad that Skylar's learning this at five instead of 22, like I did. Good job. Good job. All right. Um, I was thinking about um, Danielle Laporte, who's one of our teachers. She just put out a podcast on engaging with someone's higher self. And I know that I used to do this with Rose a lot when she was little, that when she would like, you know, when I was like losing my shit with her, I would like engage with her and I would just like, not, you know, I wouldn't say it out loud, but, or sometimes I would, but mostly silently, I would like ask that her higher self and my higher self like connect and, um, like a way to navigate some of those things. And even if this is completely made up and a crutch that I use, so I don't flip my shit, I'll take it, you know? Like people don't have to believe in higher selves or whatever, but if it shaped my behavior and helped me be a better parent, then I was for it. Um, but I remember sometimes when I just was like, uh, or like trying to discuss tricky things. One time I was trying to um, explain to my daughter who's deaf what dissociative disorders were through sign guess what? It didn't go well. <laughs> but I just remember thinking, just trying to like, you know, connect on my higher self to like try and explain this. So um, that was like one of my, I don't know, another parenting fail, I guess, on that. But also trying, you know, alternative ways to explain stuff and, and um, just communicate. Because parenting is tricky, right? So we're going to come at it like all these different angles that we can. And if it's verbal or connecting with our higher self or role modeling or Somewhere even, you missed it, Caitlin, but Tiff said that one of her kids was asking her um, or telling her that she needed to go to the doctor. So the, the kid had missed, had noticed that Tiffany took care of everybody else but herself and healthcare choices. So. What are things that you've done that uh, seem to have made some impact with other folks who are going through postpartum issues, if at all? I find myself asking my friends those same blunt questions or when I was a doula do asking those same blunt questions postpartum and then also making sure I checked in three months later, not, hey, here's all this shit, right? You're going to go through all this stuff and six weeks, everyone's going to drop you, right? So checking in after everyone's like off the client list, essentially but then checking in a few months after so that they, you know, it, it didn't have to be anything more than a text, but hey, I want to check on you see how you're doing now that you're where you are. Do you want to do another visit? Do you want to do anything? Like, is there any way I can help you, et cetera, to just to keep that line of communication open. 
that's a hot tip there. And one thing, um, one of my patients brought this up to me today, and this goes with your timeline, is that she experienced um, a mood disorder. She started getting postpartum depression at eight months when she stopped nursing. So she had that big hormone crash then, and that's when it like came out of nowhere. And she thought, oh, I'm so good, I'm so good, I'm so good. And then at eight months, it was like, boom, because um, that's what she weaned her baby. Um, and the other thing that um, can cause a huge hormone shift that's outside that six week window is when you're post, if you choose to ingest your placenta and your placenta pills run out, then there can be a hormone crash. And then that also can kick in a mood disorder. Is there anything else, Dr. Blythe, that I'm missing that could create a hormone shift like that that kicks it in? Well, um, I was just going to circle back and say there's actual data to support that there is, um, I forget what they call it, like weaning depression. Um, so like after you have a baby, we have like the, the baby blues, right. That happen for two to three weeks. Um, it's usually about seven days after weaning that you'll feel um, pretty shitty. And I would say if it hangs out after that seven days, then that's a reason to say, Hey, this is not going to resolve on its own. I need extra support. So go back to your provider um, to have your hormone levels checked or, you know, check in with your therapist. If you don't have one, um, you could get one or, you know, to basically just start by saying, hey, I need something. This is not going to just resolve on its own um, to just normalize that. And there's a lot of data. When I first heard about it from a patient, kind of maybe like four years ago, she was talking to me about that. And I was still really new to figuring this out. So I was like, well, let me, you know, put my little doctor hat on and go research it. And I started seeing some articles. And since then, I've seen way more um, scientific evidence to support the weaning depression. So I would say if it's not resolved within three to seven days, that it's not going to on its own um, in SOS. So, For me, my um, crash happened like at, my mom passed away when Skylar was seven months. So then my crash happened shortly after that, after I started processing. So around nine months and then Skylar stopped nursing at 11 months, but really we were like straggling through to get to 11 months because I was trying to get to that um, 12 month mark, but then he quit cold turkey and was like biting anytime he was offered. Um, but it's almost, it's almost mirroring some of the, the same uh, trimester marks right three months there that's a major milestone right six months you're hitting another major milestone and then there are major milestones with your baby that are hitting that you aren't necessarily um that will affect your stuff and going back to work is probably what three months is that so three four months so again like they're starting to line up again at three six nine and then probably 12 months at that year marker reevaluating your birth from a year ago you're like it's the first time this anniversary has happened whether your birth has gone the way you wanted it to or not so it's it's almost like it's lining up in the same fashion as a pregnancy like those are really great points because people um you know when you're inundated with trying to breastfeed or you know go back to work or not go back to work and have all these you know personal identifying conflicts in your mind right and then you hit that anniversary you know and then it's like let me process this birth because you're still kind of in shock um, for a while or distracted um, and they don't even get a chance to process what they did want didn't want how did this go down um, and that's one of the things that we learned in birth story listening is that um, 
you know, there's a, a period of time where we can't even talk about the birth because it's not finished in our mind. Um, kind of like when we upload a video to YouTube, it takes forever because it's still uploading. I feel like that's kind of what's happening in our bodies and our minds, you know, after people have their babies. So that's pretty fascinating, Caitlin, to just put it so succinctly, which is one of my favorite things about you. Um, so all those people listening to the podcast, just go ahead and play that back four times because it was eloquent. I think when I do the intro for this podcast, I'm going to make sure that I say that part up front because we all know that people don't always get to the end of stuff, um, you know, to digital information or they might listen to it all the way to the end. So I'm going to make sure and bring that up. Um, say that in the intro today. The birth doesn't feel over till the wounds heal physically and emotionally. That's true. That's true. Um, Karen Strange did this cool thing where she talked about how after you have your baby, you need like an integration moment. And for every person, it's different, right? And so I've been watching a lot of birth videos because that's what I do for fun. And um, you can see when women kind of have the baby and then for a hot moment, they'll look off into the distance. And then even if they're holding their baby, they're kind of looking around, like still trying to like, well, what just happened there? And then they, and then they take a breath and then they look at their babies for the most part, right? And so um, I think that's kind of the same thing here, like having that integration of like, what, what does that moment look like? And that moment could look like two years or for the rest of your life, or it could look like three months, you know, like just what does that look, for, look like for each individual with the um, extenuating or external circumstances of having people to talk to about it or the level of what went down or any of those things. So yeah, the birth doesn't feel over till the wounds heal physically and emotionally. Good. Do either one of you feel like you have um, wounds still from the birth? You're from, because you guys each have two kids. Oh, I've done a lot of work to process them, but I don't feel like I have wounds or even what ifs really anymore. Um, but that's because I put a lot of work into trying to get to that point, right? Um, and Dr. B helped a lot with that. So yeah, and then Atlas's birth was more healing than anything because I felt like, okay, my children are being choosing in a way how they wanted to be born too, because um, they were just vastly different. Um, yeah. How about you two? Um, same with Caitlin. They're, they they were different births, and I see how, like she said, like both of my kids were the same. Like you can tell how the child wants to be born. What's like, um, it was really kind of strange with Lily. Uh, I labored for 13 hours at the birth center and I was physically, just emotionally, everything drained, so exhausted. And they could not get a reading on her heart rate and um, sent for an ambulance. So I was transferred to a hospital and she wasn't turning to come out the correct way. And the doctor at the hospital checked me and she said, we're gonna have to give you a C-section. So I'm like taking off my jewelry and they're prepping, prepping me and, you know, 
giving Barry a smock and, you know, he'll meet you late, later on, like he'll meet you in the operating room. And my heart is just racing. My mind is like, you know, alarm, alarm. This is not how it's supposed to go. That's, you know, but I had to bring it all back in and be like, okay, change of plans. Like something else is going to happen and we're just going to have to go with it. And right before they took me to transfer to surgery, um, she said, I can check you one more time if you still want to push. And I said, yes, I want to push. And she said, she checked and she said, you have a window. She said, if you want to push, you have to push hard now. And if this baby is not born by 6.30, we're taking you to surgery. So there were like 10 nurses in there, like all crowded around me, like screaming, like push, push, push. And I'm like pushing so hard. And Lily was born at 6.29. So I don't know if she needed more encouragement or if, you know, like what it was, but even when she came out, I was grateful that I did not have to get cut open because that was like a huge fear of mine that, you know, I was about to like, just like let that go. And if baby needs to come out that way, then that's fine. But, um, and I can see that in her personality that like, she's not ready to do something until she's ready. So if she needs a couple more minutes or if it's a big thing, whatever, if, if I need to prep her, like, Hey, this is what we're doing tomorrow. Like I know that about her because that's just like how she was born. But I don't really have any like regrets or what ifs anymore. I kind of have like, you know, that's, how it happened and there's nothing that I can do to change how that happened and just try to embrace the way that it did happen because I have two healthy girls. So that's, what's important. And I agree. That's what's important unless you don't feel healthy and whole also, you know, cause we hear a lot of that in the community, right? Well, I had a C-section, but you know, my kid's fine. Like, yeah, whatever. If you felt like you were raped in the process, that's not okay. You know? Um, I know what I wanted to mention earlier is that at a birth center, you're not, because of the rules of, about birth centers, is that uh, you can't go to a birth center until you're in active labor. So now active labor is six centimeters and, you know, like five to four minutes apart, um, lasting over a minute, right? So you have to have a lot of mental fortitude and internal strength to have a birth center birth because you're not laboring there as soon as you, you know, hit whatever. And most hospitals, you're not supposed to get act, um, checked in until you're in active labor either. But a lot of people go so early because they feel like they don't want to labor anywhere else because they don't understand that birth typically takes way longer than anybody anticipates. Um, so they'll come in and like, well, you're three and your contractions are really kind of shitty. And if you're left to your own devices, you might have your baby in a couple of days, but they don't say that part. What they say is like, well, let's just get you checked in and let's augment you, you know? So there's like consumer demand they're responding to. Um, you know, that is what it is. So, okay. All right. Hmm. Different births, different styles. And I just want to say as someone who did have a home birth cesarean where we planned a home birth, we needed to go to the hospital and then we ended in cesarean, um, that I was pretty much a wreck right after, like my son was healthy and I was healthy and 
everything else, but I needed a lot of time and space to process it with people who were supportive and understanding of what the process was. Um, so if you're a mom who is planning on a possible birth and uh, this was with Skylar, so this is with my first, um, my second was an H back, a home birth after cesarean. Um, I needed all of that, all of those people. And um, I don't know if I've ever told anyone this, um, or at least not this group, but I, I think it's also so important to surround yourself with people who believe you, believe in you, because even as I was being wheeled in for my cesarean, my midwife, Shannon, looked at me and said, this changes nothing for your next birth. And it was like, she was telling me, girl, this is okay. We need to do it this way this time. It's okay. And we're going to do it different. We can try again to do it differently next time. And I think that that was a huge thing for me to know that my midwife still believed I could give birth uh, vaginally at home. And it wasn't a matter of me being broken. Right. She like instilled that in me from before I had my C-section, but as I was being with it. Anyway, so that was a really big thing too. That's cool. That's really cool. One thing that um, I have somebody coming to me over the weekend who um, her doctor just figured out her baby's breech and um, she's like, you know, I don't want this. This is like my worst situation because here in Houston, there's not a lot of people who deliver a breech baby, especially somebody who's on a VA voucher. And so, um, and I just remind her that we're going to do all the things to help this baby turn just short of doing a virgin. I don't do that part, but I do, um, it's called ECV prep. And I was like, but no matter what, when you're having this baby, the emotions that you have in your body create a chemical signature. And that's the chemical signature that the baby's born from. So you are the person, you're the mama. She, she identifies as uh, her gender is female. I was like, you are the mama and how you feel when this baby is born is how is the environment, it's the vibe, it's the mojo, it's the chemical makeup of your blood. Um, but you're the mama and you decide the tone of how this baby is born. And she's like, oh, okay. So, and I think that's something people forget too, because there aren't a lot of choice options. You know, you're, you know, there's a lot of people in there and it's, you're in the OR and all these things because it's major, you know, surgery, but how you are inside yourself sets the tone. And we have a friend who um, did yoga, yoga breathing, Lisa Zakaris, you know, Lisa, Tiffany, and she did uh, yoga breathing and brought her blood pressure down and just, you know, set her tone with her breath and which is no easy feat, right? When you're scared and, you know, shit's going down, but she was the mama and she set the tone. So... Well, we're getting kind of to the end here. Any other things that you want to share or say before we meet up in two weeks? Oh, I know one thing I wanted to say was that, um, yeah, we're aware, well, Dr. Blythe and I are aware that, you know, a lot of people can't afford therapy for whatever reason, and that's one of the reasons we're doing this, you know, like getting people here. Um, it costs us about, I think we looked at it, it's like a hundred bucks a month, not really including our time, but in our resources to do this, to push it out with all the different softwares and stuff we do. And, um, if you're listening to this on Anchor, um, we have a support button, so you can hit that support button or um, become a supporting member if you find this helpful. But 
that was one of the things that we wanted. We wanted to see each other face-to-face live in this group and then later on as a podcast so that folks could listen and not be lonely doing their 2 a.m. nursings or their 2 p.m. nursings when everybody around them doesn't seem to get it. So um, we just wanted to create community. So that's why we're doing this. And Tiffany, for sure, like we're all looking at you, like, uh, and I can edit this out of part if you don't want me to say it, but we're like, oh shit, Tiffany's going down. <laughs> what are we going to do? So when we think about, like, um, I do some business coaching too, we think about our ideal customer, who's our person that we're really going for. And it was you, Tiff. We were like, okay, what can we do? What can we do? What can we do? And here we are. And I know that other people listen to this besides the four of us because people tell me, oh, I've been listening to your podcast. I'm like, really? Huh. And then somebody like, I don't, I don't even know you. And they're like, yeah, but I heard that other part. And I was like, okay, good, good. So we are doing good work. And Tiffany, inspired by you and carried forward by Caitlin and Dr. B, you know, as our support, as our um, co-host or occasional co-host. And then, then you met Kat and like moved in like a good lesbian there with you hauling. So, <laughs> so we're good with relationships. So let's hopefully we can get Martha here back um, in two weeks. And uh, yeah, Caitlin, you've done a great job of co-hosting, like really good. Um, and as things, uh, you know, get moving even forward, we might keep leaning on you for that. But I really appreciate that. Yeah. Um, I had some good ideas for topics and I've forgotten. But yeah, let's crowdsource some, some topics and we'll make it happen. And you know what, we can revisit stuff too with new people. You know, the postpartum um, depression after adoption, I mean, that's like, I didn't, I didn't see that one coming at all. And that's great. So anyway, if you have a suggestion, you can, uh, there's a way that you can leave us a note through Anchor, or you can, of course, put it on our uh, Facebook page and you can uh, shoot us a note or hello at preggers.rocks. Um, that's our uh, website email. So that's what I know. All right. Well, let's unmute ourselves and tell each other that we love each other tremendously. Oh, wait, Caitlin, do you want to say the part about how to reach us or whatever? Caitlin had this thing that she wanted to start saying because um, I'm not doing a good job of that. So, Caitlin, are you ready for that? Can you do it or no? I'm ready. Um, if you guys would like to join us for the live version on taping of this show, um, please join us. We are uh, on every other Tuesday at 11 a.m. Central Time. Um, our, so if today is October 1st, we'll be on in two weeks. Uh, so please join us. And you can sign up for text reminders at uh, preggers.rocks and also on our Facebook page. And I'm not sure where else, but if you go to those two, that's how you can get the text reminder because I'm sure there's plenty of times you're thinking, oh, it's fixing to be group time. And then you look up and you're like, oh shit. So, okay, and Tiffany says text is how she gets here. So that's good. It'll send you a text with a link. Um, you can just click that and then you can attend with us live. It's kind of like, um, what was that show, American Bandstand, where you see the people dancing and then you can watch it later. If you would like to join us live, you can do your soul train down the walk. Yeah, okay. All right, and the text gives you a prompt an hour before. So you get time to like find your earbuds and figure out your plan and uh, you know charge your phone, all that stuff. All right, well, let's unmute ourselves because we love each other. And uh, see you guys in two weeks. Yay, I'm going to try and come back more. This is great. Adios. Love you guys. Love you. Bye. 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 Oh, thank you.